want to welcome you tonight to this celebration of a remarkable woman, Rachel Campos Duffy. Now, for the past 25 years, the Luce Institute has been on a mission to create more women leaders like Rachel. Using great role models like Rachel and many of the other women here at this summit and from our campus lectures and our seminars and our mentoring lunches and our internships and fellowships, we work to prepare the next generation of leaders for America. And we have a new Center for Conservative Women in addition being built to our Northern Virginia headquarters that will have a large space for events like these and will give us an even greater capacity to encourage and teach young women policy and leadership skills. Now there's so many distinguished ladies here tonight and supporters, uh, former interns, great student activists. Forgive me, but I'm just going to introduce two of them. I wish I could introduce you all. First, one of the most distinguished ladies here from our board of directors, also a great speaker who led off this morning, a mom and a wife, the president of Regnery Publishing, who actually is publishing Rachel's book. <laughs> Margie Ross, please stand Margie. And I'm going to introduce one other person that is sort of a surprise to most of you, I think. This is the great-granddaughter of Claire Booth Luce, Hillary Hagenbook. She's uh, from San Francisco. She's currently working for the Young Republican National Federation. She graduated from UC Santa Barbara, where she attended a couple of our events there. And we are so delighted to have the Luce family here. Thank you for coming. I also want to take just a moment now to acknowledge and thank the hardworking staff of the Institute. I'm going to ask you to stand also. I think everybody knows you. There's only a few of us here. We're what's called a lean and mean staff. Jeannie O'Connor is our vice president. Stand up, Jeannie. Cindy Rushing is our de development director. And Elizabeth Campbell, who you all heard from a little while ago, runs our student programs. What good work they all do. Now, for 25 years, the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute has been working to prepare, promote, and celebrate the best conservative women in America. And every year, we give a Woman of the Year Award to honor an extraordinary woman who, like our organization's namesake, Claire Booth Luce, shows courage and leadership and grace and dedication to defending and advancing conservative principles. This year, we're honored to present the award to Rachel. Let me tell you a little about Rachel. Rachel actually got her start in television on MTV's distinctive early reality television show. It was called The Real World, where she met her husband, too, who was on the show as well. Today, she's a Fox News and a Fox Business contributor as well as a frequent guest on Fox and Friends and Outnumbered, offering her unique view on political news, parenting, and everything in between. She's appeared as a frequent guest on NBC's Today Show and ABC's The View. And in 2008, she co-hosted the series Speaking of Women's Health 
on the Lifetime Network with the legendary Florence Henderson. She's also done a lot of popular shows like Dr. Phil and Politically Incorrect. She's written for a wide range of publications, including National Review and The American Spectator. And as I mentioned, the debut of her children's book set to be released this fall by Regnery Publishing's division, Regnery Kids. And it's a story about a little girl's adventure inside the US Capitol, inspired by real life events, right? Where she learns about patriotism, courage, and her immigrant father's proud journey to citizenship. Rachel's advocacy work has included serving as the national spokesperson for the Libra Initiative, an organization that educates and advocates for the economic empowerment of Hispanics through limited government, entrepreneurship, and self-reliance. Rachel graduated from Arizona State University, honors program with a degree in economics and a minor in science, and she has a master's degree in international affairs from the University of California, San Diego. She lives in Wisconsin with her husband, Congressman Sean Duffy, and her eight children, <laughs> aged what, two to 16 or? Uh, 18 to two. 18 to two, that's right, the ones heading off to college. God bless you, my dear. <laughs> what a strong conservative leader Rachel is, an amazing mother and wife, a remarkable role model, and a special favorite of the ladies at the Luce Institute. Now, you know, many on the left, and especially in the media and the popular culture and at the universities, especially in their women's studies program, it's not our kind of women, is it? <laughs> they pretend not to be aware of the amazing achievements of women like Rachel. Instead of recognition, conservative women leaders are sometimes savaged by the left and the media because of their beliefs. But at the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women, we are eager to celebrate the achievements of conservative women. We know they represent the millions of women across the country who believe in traditional values, that peace for America comes through strength, and that our rights come from God, not from government. And that is what makes America an exceptional nation. This was Margie's talk this morning. Rachel, thank you for all you've done as a conservative leader for America. Thank you for inspiring so many women, especially young women, to listen and then respond to liberal and left-wing progressive arguments and attacks with precision, accuracy, and grace, as you do. You're a leader who, like Claire Booth Luce, is poised, persuasive, and principled. So today, this is our 25th anniversary year, so this is a special award. It's my great privilege to present you with the 2018 Claire Booth Luce Woman of the Year Award. First of all, thank you so much. Um, I can't think of a more important organization at this time in our history and our current events um, than Clara Luce and, and their uh, commitment to celebrating conservative women and their values, particularly at a time when we see on the left they are celebrating 
Stormy Daniels. I don't know if you guys caught that in the news that they're actually defending her as a um, you know a, a respectable member of uh, you know the the, the female club, if you will. Um, and so I can't think of a better time for us to talk about the dignity of women um, and the importance of conservative women and their traditional um, liberty-minded values um, right now. It's, it's, it couldn't be a better time. Now, I was a little bit intimidated when I was told that I was going to be, um, I'm going to place this over here, woman of the year. I, I felt a little inadequate, but I figured if, if Barack Obama could get a Nobel Peace Prize for doing nothing, then I'm not going to feel guilty about getting the Women of the Year Award. Um, so uh, thank you again. Truly honored, truly humbled to be here among all you beautiful young women and everybody at the Clara Luce Booth organization um, and all the strong, good work you do. Um, so it's no doubt that when you hear my bio, the thing that jumps out the most uh, people is that um, uh, Sean and I are the first reality uh, TV couple is one of them. People always wonder, it's true, you can find true love on reality TV, it has happened. Um, <laughs> but actually what gets more attention is that I have eight kids and it's a lot. Um, and people often ask me what it's like to have um, such a hyper political family and what, what's, what our day to day life is like. I can tell you that about a year ago, my husband was contemplating a run for Senate. Now we had to think about our bandwidth and our family and everything that was going on. We decided not to do it in the end. But when we were contemplating it and discerning about it, we sat all the kids down, um, you know, to go, "Hey, Dad's thinking about running for Congress and or for Senate. What do you guys think?" And they had all kinds of great questions. But it was really interesting. The littlest ones had the greatest questions, and sort of illuminated us just how steeped in politics our kids are for good or bad, I don't know yet. Um, but the little one asked a, a really cute question, she was seven, and she said, well, Daddy, if you go to the Senate, um, will you have any friends? Because she knows he has all these friends over, you know, on, on the congressional side, which I thought was a beautiful little question. And, um, and we all kind of, we kind of thought about it, and then one of the kids said, well, yeah, I mean, Ron Johnson's over there, he's our Wisconsin senator. And then another little kid said, and Lion Ted, <laughs> and little Marco. And I thought, wow, Donald Trump has really infiltrated you know, these monikers. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Um, uh, another example of just how politicized my kids are, my mom um, is, was very good about saving all of my favorite toys. And so I have this little black doll that's so adorable, and I handed it off to each one of my kids, and they all loved her, and her name is Lola. Um, and they all called her Lola until the last one who, you know, was two during the election, and she named her Baby Trump. Um, <laughs> so we're thinking we might all, I mean, they're all going to end up on the couch somewhere um, <laughs> 20 years from now blaming us for all kinds of stuff. Um, so anyway, um, and I, I figured social services might call me, from, some liberal neighbor might call on me <laughs> for that one. <laughs> um, uh, I want to tell you that today is, is, is a wonderful award for me, but it's really about conservative women. And so I want to talk about conservative women and who are they and what do we really know about conservative women like all of you. Well, it turns out that there has been some recent research 
on women that I think shed some light on the subject. Now, since 1972, the University of Chicago, which, by the way, will be my daughter's um, new college. That's where she's going, got accepted and is going to school in the fall. Well, the University of Chicago has been conducting a general social survey, and one of the things that they measure is happiness. Now, the study concluded that women, conservative women, are the happiest group that they um, studied. About 40% of conservative women say they are very happy. That makes them slightly happier than conservative men, um, and significantly happier than liberal women. Um, the unhappiest group of all, liberal men. Um, now, you just have to look at uh, Al Gore, or Bill Maher, to know that that actually really is true. And um, only about one-fifth of liberal men consider themselves to be very happy. So the question then is, why are conservative women so happy? Why are they so blissful? Well, it turns out that there are three things that contribute to human happiness. And they are family, community, and in that context, especially faith community, and work. And I would suggest to all of you that these are things that come very naturally to conservative women and to a conservative lifestyle. Um, I believe a lot of our happiness as conservative women also comes from refusing to follow the feminist script that was passed on to us um, from our feminist elder sisters. Now, I've personally found for myself that throwing out that script, just tossing it right out that window, um, and following my heart instead has led to a more fulfilling life and one that I think is just a lot more fun. Um, there's another happiness study that provides yet another clue about why conservative women are happy, happier, and that study concludes, and this is very interesting, I want you to pay attention to this one. It says that women who have turned down a promotion or made some other work sacrifice for the sake of their families report high levels of happiness about that. It's really quite a revolutionary finding, and it flies in the face of what women have been told since feminists like Betty Friedan wrote The Feminine Mystique, and it certainly seems to conflict with what young women are being told today by other luminaries and celebrated women in our culture. How many of you know who Sheryl Sandberg is? From Facebook, right? Um, she wrote a very famous book that everybody is, uh, you know, acclaimed, lean in, um, and she told women, young women, at a commencement address, it was a very famous moment, she said, quote, put your foot on the gas pedal and keep it there. And I have to tell you that as much as I respect Sheryl Sandberg and her accomplishments, my advice to you is exactly the opposite. Um, I say first, of course, you must get your education. Um, that's very important. Um, and then you must pursue your dreams. But I would suggest to you to not be afraid to slow down to jump off of the professional train when your heart calls you to tend to the things that last. What are the things that last? Love, marriage, babies, happy kids. Those are the things that last. That it, When you're on your deathbed, those are the things that matter. Um, what's so great, I think, about being a woman today, and it really has changed because of the changes in our culture and the, and the status of women in our society. Um, what, what is so great about being a woman today is that you can always jump back on the train. 
Um, it's your journey. You do not have to choose between June Cleaver from Leave It to Beaver. Who, who here even knows what June Cleaver is? If you don't, Google it. Um, but uh, there's June Cleaver and there's Barbara Walters, and I'm going to tell you what, there's miles of space between those two women. Um, when I was pregnant with baby number one, I was an at-home mom. I thought by default. Um, I was up for a new job at that time as the co-host on ABC's The View. And dozens of other women had gone through this on-air audition process, um, and they had whittled it down to two people, and I was one of them. And at that time, I was a newlywed. I was living in a college apartment with my new husband. <laughs> um, he was in law school at the time, um, and he was just finishing it up. And I had made a deal with Sean because I really thought I was going to get that job on The View. And I said, you know what, Sean, if I get um, the job on The View, you will make a deal, you'll move to New York. And he said, okay. And I said, if I don't get the job, I will move to your hometown where he wanted to practice law in Hayward, Wisconsin, population 2000. Um, well, at the end of the audition process, Barbara Walters called me on the phone in my little sad apartment <laughs> <laughs> and told me that I would, did not get the job. And so I kept my promise, and I moved to Hayward, Wisconsin, which, by the way, is the home of the Muskie Fish Museum. Um, <laughs> now, I have to tell you, at the time, I was pretty devastated about losing the job on The View, but I was very youthful and optimistic, and in that optimism, I just decided, okay, I'm just between jobs. Um, so I kept calling my agent in L.A., um, and I even auditioned uh, for a few jobs, so I would fly back. By the way, I still have the same agent after all these years, so um, I actually, I, that's a testament to there are women out there who take care of other women, and she's one who has kept, kept with me and, and uh, through the thin, lean years. Um, but anyway, I kept calling my, my agent in L.A., um, and she had me come back, and um, lo and behold, a few years later, the girl who got the view decided, that beat me out on the first audition, decided to move on, and they were going to have another on-air audition because it was so successful and the ratings were so good. So I came back to audition. Um, the, the producers and Barbara had asked me to come back, and so I did. At this point, I was pregnant with my third child. And this time again, I made it to the finals. It was between me and, if you recall, it was Elizabeth Hasselbeck um, back then. And so um, once again, Barbara Walters called me to tell me that I didn't get the job. Um, and after a few, I was, yeah, I was a little depressed, for, but, but a much shorter period of time I was depressed. I actually, it was kind of remarkable how quickly I got out of it. But I, I felt a little sorry for myself. But then suddenly I felt a sense of relief about it. And I think that in the deepest part of my heart, I knew that what I was doing at that moment, I was really not in between jobs. I was being an at-home mom. And I think that that was what God wanted me to do at that moment in my life. And um, so I sort of surrendered to that in some ways. Now, I, I, I jumped into it. I was loving it. I love my kids. I love being a mom. Um, but there was something about being an at-home mom that bothered me, and it wasn't my kids. It was really the way other people were viewing me as an at-home mom. Um, I had people say to me things like, you're wasting your master's degree. Um, uh, and you just sort of, uh, there was a sense that somehow I was, you know, wasting my talent. Um, and there wasn't a real deep appreciation for what I knew that I was doing um, and, and how important what I was doing was. 
Um, and so what I decided to do was to write about that. And so I started to write blogs, started to write about how I felt as an at-home mom. Um, and at first I would you know, get onto blogs that no one knew. Um, and little by little I started to get published on websites that people actually read um, and go to. Uh, I have to tell you that the most surprising thing for me about being a mom um, is that the more kids I had, the more I found I was able to put on my plate. Now that sounds very counterintuitive. When you have children, it's really weird. It actually happens. Um, having kids has taught me to prioritize. It's taught me to delegate. It's taught me to accept life's imperfections more gracefully. Um, a few years later, quite a few years later, my husband decided that he wanted to run for Congress. And I, as an at-home mom, from my kitchen table there, decided to help him. And I um, be developed his marketing plan. I became his speechwriter. I used all those skills that everyone said were being wasted um, to help my family um, achieve a goal. And all those experiences gave me the background and the experience to eventually do parenting segments on the Today Show um, and try my hand at political punditry and eventually become a spokesperson for the Libre Initiative um, and now a Fox News contributor. Um, I think that my work as a contributor is very much colored and enhanced by all the experiences I have had, both living in a little town in the Midwest, um, to having children, to being the spouse of a political figure, so on and so forth. Now, I have to tell you that none of this happened overnight. It was 20 years in the making, with lots of fits and starts. Um, when I first started doing TV, um, CNN was allowing you to do Skype interviews. And so I lived in a little town with no satellite connection. And so um, I agreed to do these, these interviews, which were, were it's a very dangerous thing to agree to when you have lots of little kids in your house. Um, so I learned that I could bribe my kids with Dairy Queen to stay in the basement <laughs> for three minutes while I did my Skype hit. Um, so you know, I did those kinds of things. And eventually, those small jobs led to me actually be invi being invited to do an interview live in the studio um, with other adults around. <laughs> um, and uh, there were times, I have to tell you, that um, I wanted to say no. And I had to say no sometimes. Maybe a child was sick, or I was too pregnant to travel. Um, other times, I was so tired and homesick for my kids, I wished I had said no. Finding that right balance, for me, was very experimental. It was imperfect, and it required constant recalibration on my part and on my family's part. But we learn and we grow. And along the road, I learned this all-important skill of jumping on and off that professional train to meet the needs, financial and otherwise, of my family. I literally threw out that feminist script that Sheryl Sandberg and other women say that we have to follow. Um, and I just simply refused to believe that taking a break to care for my family would permanently take me out of the professional game. It's just not true. It's very 1980s. I know the 80s is kind of coming back now, but that's a part of the 80s that we don't need to go back to. Um, because it doesn't take into account how technology and work culture has changed, how much, um, you know, employers are allowing all kinds of employees to work part-time from home or come in and out. I mean, it's just, it's just not the case. I mean, I'm writing a, a book with Margie and her team. Um, what, I've been to your office twice, maybe? 
Um, it's just not necessary all the time. And that's the change from technology. And that's something, as women, we should embrace and celebrate um, and always try and work with women like Margie who care about women and care about working moms. That always is a plus. Um, I landed my dream job at Fox News at the ripe old age of 45. <laughs> um, today I'm 40, almost 47. I'm still excited to be learning and growing professionally. I had a friend tell me that I'm the Betty White of broadcasting, <laughs> which I took as a compliment. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, but it did. It took me a while to kind of hit my stride. But I think I hit it at the time that was right for me. It may not be right for somebody else, but it was right for me. Which leads me to my final piece of advice to all of you young, single, beautiful, conservative women. Now I have to warn you, this, this part of my advice is a little bit controversial. It's definitely not feminist approved. In fact, it might make feminist heads explode. Um, my advice to you is to understand that the single most important decision you will ever make as a woman is who you marry. And my advice to you is do not let a good man, a kind man, a supportive man, a man that you are desperately in love with slip away. I left my life in Los Angeles to move to this little town in northern Wisconsin, the one with the Muskie Museum, um, to be with the man that I loved. And a lot of people thought I was crazy, including Barbara Walters, um, who famously asked me when I returned to The View after Sean won his election, they invited us back. And as I was sitting there with my third, no, no, this was in my fifth, my fifth child, on my lap, um, she asked me if I had any regrets <laughs> about leaving my promising broadcasting career, um, which was highly awkward. I'm sitting next to my husband and my fifth baby, and um, I, but she has always been so nice to me, and I just graciously answered, no, I think I'm doing the best job right now for me, um, being a mom. Uh, but, uh, but a lot of people thought I was crazy. Um, I will tell you that I just celebrated um, 19 years of marriage. We have eight kids. Um, Sean is my soulmate. He's my partner. He's always supported every dream I have, including my dream of having a family. A good, strong marriage leads to a good, strong family, and a strong family will support your dreams and aspirations. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't sacrifices. That doesn't mean that there aren't delays and disappointments and a lot of hard work. It is really hard to juggle it. It really is. But a good husband and a strong family are the foundation of a life blessed with the things that truly matter and truly last. Um, I want to talk about one other thing. I talk a lot about being a happy warrior because I really believe in that sort of Reagan principle and that we are our own best sort of marketing. And the, we live lives that I think our, our, our values create that happiness. We should put it out there. We should be happy. We should never become like those angry pink-hatted people that we've seen <laughs> here roaming the streets. Um, we don't want to do that. But I will tell you that um, another key to being a happy warrior in the conservative movement um, is is that we refuse to join that feminist mean girl club. Now I wrote an article um, 
a while ago, and I was hoping that Ivanka would actually read it. I put it on foxnews.com. I got booked on all these shows, hoping she or somebody would read it. And in this article, I was trying to reach out to Ivanka and hopefully others like her to tell her that she would be happier if she gave up on the idea of ever being accepted back into the feminist club that once actually celebrated her. Um, you know, as you know, she's been branded complicit, so have all of you. You have, you know, betrayed, you're a traitor to your gender, um, according to the left. Um, but she has been branded complicit in her father's pro-America, pro-life agenda, and she will never, ever be forgiven by the Mean Girl Club for that. She will never be forgiven for that. There's, even, after, even if he lost his, the next election, she will never be allowed back, and she needs to recognize that. Um, it's very interesting. Mika Brzezinski, all, all of you guys know who Mika Brzezinski is. She, by the way, she's the one who was, who was um, celebrating, if you will, um, Stormy Daniels' profession uh, the, uh, this week on, on, uh, on MSNBC. Um, Mika Brzezinski from MSNBC interviewed Tina Brown. Tina is a self-appointed feminist leader, if you don't know who she is, and she is the founder of an organization called Women in the World Summit. Uh, where she gathers all these celebrated other women around the world to talk about women's issues. Now, she told Mika that even though Ivanka has and is doing a lot to advance female entrepreneurship and has put her and had put her political weight within the administration behind the national child care policy in the White House, something many liberal women are, were, were actually uh, excited about and had been championing for years, that d in spite of all that, she could not be a credible feminist role model because her father's administration wants to cut funding to Planned Parenthood. Now, I actually thought it was a very honest and revealing statement. And it proves what we conservative women have been saying for so long, which is that the so-called feminist movement is not really about women. It's about abortion. And that's why anti-Trump pro-life, uh, anti why anti-Trump pro-life groups were actually banned from the Women's uh, March, if you recall, and somebody named Linda Sarsour, you all know who Linda Sarsour is, right? A defender of Sharia law and female genital mutilation was actually accepted as a leader, um, a, a senior leader in the Women's March um, that, that they had here in DC following the president's inauguration. Feminist leaders set the rules. And anyone who threatens abortion will be punished as a traitor to their gender, no matter how much good you actually do for women or their financial empowerment or their independence, you will be shamed and exiled from their mean girl club. So we all just ought to accept that. But here is the good news. We actually don't need their club. We are independent, free-thinking, liberty-minded women. What angry liberal feminists don't realize is that conservative women have been quietly shaping our own brand of feminism. One that gives women more freedom to chart their own course and to define happiness and success on our own terms. It is a feminism that respects the consequential role of men and the dignity of women and their children, including those still growing in their mother's womb. The media and the cultural elites ignore and scoff at us. You just have to turn on the TV. They do it every single day. 
what happened at the White House uh, event, was it the press, uh, the White House Correspondence Center was a perfect example of that. Um, but that is just, a, a was a very sort of broadcasted example. It happens every single day. You will all encounter that. Um, but what, though they scoff at us, they lose the point that we are actually a very powerful constituency. In fact, we crushed their dreams of a Hillary Clinton presidency by putting Donald Trump into the White House. Um, conservative women also gave a majority in the House, a majority in the Senate, and with those majorities and with that president, we were able to pass the most consequential tax reform in generations. A reform, by the way, tax cuts that they called, if you remember Nancy Pelosi called it Armageddon. And here we are enjoying record-breaking economic news, record-breaking opportunities for women, record-breaking unemployment for minorities. The same coalition that Obama uh, thought he had, um, suddenly we're the ones that are actually providing opportunity for them. Um, this majority is also remaking the courts to reflect our conservative constitutional values. Liberals and Hollywood ignore conservative women at their own peril. Um, I want to just tell you really quickly that until I, my husband was elected in 2010, um, neither he or I had n ever been inside the Capitol um, here in Washington, D.C. We'd never been inside until after he was elected. And so one of the greatest joys for me um, since his election has been watching my children walk the halls of Congress at such formative ages. I literally have a picture of my little Margarita dancing, and it, she's just in a shadow. She's just dancing down the halls. And it's one of my favorite pictures um, because it's something I could never have imagined. Um, our now nine-year-old daughter had a particular fascination with our beautiful capital. So when my husband was first elected, she was four years old. Uh, oh, this is the, thank you. That's so sweet of you. Um, and she just fell in love with that beautiful building. And whenever she, wherever she would walk in Washington, D.C., she would sort of turn to see where the beautiful Capitol Dome was in relation to where she was standing. And she noticed something on the top of the dome that we adults and all of our busyness, I had never even noticed that there was a gorgeous statue on the top of the dome. And she just became fascinated with that lady standing on top of the dome. And she wanted to know all about her. And as you know, she is this very impressive um, bronze statue. She wanted to know why she was there, what she was doing there, why she was dressed like that. Um, and I didn't know anything about it. I barely, got, I barely knew where the Capitol was. And so I decided I needed to learn all I could about Lady uh, Freedom so I could feed her curiosity. Um, President Lincoln erected Lady Freedom, a Republican, by the way. We, we freed the slaves and we also um, emancipated women as well with the right to vote. So we should always remember that of our history. Um, President Lincoln erected Lady Freedom during the Civil War. She's a beautiful, I hope you guys all can Google her. When I do it with the, um, with the AV, I have a picture of her. But she is a beautiful and fierce warrior. She wears a toga style dress and a Native American style cap over it. On her head is this beautiful helmet, and on the front of it, it's adorned with stars um, and feathers, both of which symbolize uh, victory over tyranny. 
In one hand, she has a sheathed sword. In the other, she carries a shield and a laurel wreath. Again, symbols of victory. And if you look at Lady Freedom, you will notice that she is facing east because she is keeping her eye on England. She is always vigilant and protective of our nation's freedom. So I, I went into the gift shop in the Capitol, um, gift shop in, in the building there, and I found a little Lady Freedom keychain um, that I gave to Paloma on that trip when she fell out. I, didn't, I couldn't find anything else, so I found this little keychain. And when we came home, the first thing she did was she ran into the house with her little keychain that I don't think ever left her hand after I gave it to her, and she hung it from the top highest turret of her pink plastic Cinderella castle. It was adorable. Um, and she was only four years old. But she wanted to be Lady Freedom. In fact, on Halloween that year, she gave me the very unenviable task of having to put together a Lady Freedom Halloween costume, <laughs> which they don't sell at Walmart, so I had to put it together. Um, but what was so interesting about that story is it made me realize that Paloma is not the only one who wants to be Lady Freedom. By the way, here's the cover of the book. Paloma wants to be Lady Freedom. So when it comes out, we'll have to do something on the website to make sure you guys can all get it um, for your nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters. Um, Paloma's not the only one. I believe that every single one of you ladies in this room um, is a Lady Freedom. Every single person in this room is here because you are willing to fight and scrap and put it all on the line to protect the rights of all Americans, especially the voiceless, the forgotten, and the most vulnerable among us. Isn't it interesting that at the highest point of our capital, our forefathers placed a woman dressed for battle as the symbol of freedom. We are all freedom fighters. That's what it means to be a conservative woman. And for some of us in, that room, in this room, the battle will be on a school board. Maybe it's on your student council at your university. For others, it's going to be quiet prayers in front of an abortion clinic or being there for a classmate or a friend who is pregnant and scared. For some, it will be giving up a Saturday to walk and, and, and pass out literature and knock on doors for a fledgling but promising candidate um, that you truly believe in. For others, it will be bravely standing up for your values in front of your liberal professors and your fellow students. For others, it will be in the halls of Congress. I fully expect somebody from this group to end up in the halls of Congress. Um, and for me, I remember I felt that way when I was standing up to Whoopi Goldberg um, on The View. So ladies, today I ask that we recommit to our noble cause of protecting freedom, to putting on our illustrious helmets, to picking up our swords and our shields and carrying our wreaths of laurel as we fight to preserve liberty and freedom for ourselves, for our daughters, and for our country who needs it now more than ever. Um, I'm willing to take questions. First of all, thank you very much for having me here today. Thank you. God bless America. And I am happy to take any questions that you have.
Don't be shy. Does Paloma still have her tattoo? She does. She actually does, and it's in her little, uh, she has like a little jewelry box, and it comes out every now and then. But I, I found actually a beautiful statue of her at one of the gift shops up by the White House, and so I have that up in my house. It's kind of special. And by the way, you can ask me anything. It can be about reality TV. It can be about anything. I'm open. Well, actually, yes. I'm you a really weird question, but how did you know that uh, your husband was the person that you wanted to marry? Wow, that is such a good question. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you a really this. It, it starts off sad, but I, uh, but it gets better. So I was, <laughs> I was actually in a very. I was engaged to somebody, and I was in a very terrible car accident, and that person died in the car accident when I was about 24. And I really never thought that I would ever fall in love again. And, but I think what it, when I met my husband, um, I knew he was a really nice guy. Kind of in some ways, his kindness reminded me of the person that I lost. Um, and, but I wasn't ready to be in a relationship. He was definitely chasing me a lot more than I was comfortable with. And so I was, and we, were, we had just done the show, and I was like, you know, he's going back to law school, I'm moving to LA. Um, and it didn't end very well, because I think his feelings were really hurt that I was not, you know, reciprocating um, his attention. And I had a speech that I had to give. Um, us real worlders would travel around in the early days to different universities and give speeches at universities. It was kind of fun, actually. And I had one in this state that I had never been in before, this city called Milwaukee. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that close to where Sean is? And I felt bad that we weren't really great. You know, we kind of didn't leave. And, and you know, real world on MTV, they always do these reunions. So I knew I was going to see him again at some point. And I didn't want it to be uncomfortable. So I said, well, I'll stop by and see him. Well, he was actually not in Milwaukee. He was in Minneapolis. So I said, on my layover, I'll stop in, in Minneapolis, and I'll see him, and maybe we could kind of patch up the friendship, and then it won't be uncomfortable when we do our next reunion show. So he agreed to meet me, and he picked me up from the airport, and we went out to this greasy diner. <laughs> and, um, and at this point, mind you, about three or four months had passed since we first met, okay? So we kind of dated, then a big gap of no dating of like three months. And now I'm going to Minneapolis to see him to repair a friendship. He takes me to this greasy diner. We sit for three hours and have breakfast talking. And at the end of the breakfast, it dawns on me. And the reason I told you the story about the tragedy is I think maybe it wised me up a lot about like what was real and what was not. And it occurred to me as we were talking, I thought to myself, I think this is what, you know, lovers and married people do. They can talk for like three hours and have a lot of fun and it feels like, you know, didn't matter where we were at, that we were in this greasy diner. And so at the end of breakfast, I said to him, I'm going to marry you. And of course he was like, cuckoo. <laughs> but we, we've been together ever since. So <laughs> that's the crazy story. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think for the first few weeks he thought it was a little weird, but, um, but it was for real. <laughs> So uh, talk about a woman who knows what she wants, right? <laughs> um, can you just tell us the names of all of the people? Oh, that's such a sweet question. Yes. Yes. So the, the oldest is Evita. Then I have Xavier, but we call him Jack. Um, <laughs> uh, then I have Lucia Belen, which, by the way, in Spanish means light of Bethlehem. Um, so Lucia Belen. Then um, I have... Uh, John Paul, 
and Paloma and Maria Victoria, which we named her, that she was born in the year of my husband's election. We had a totally different name picked out, and my mother said, you have to name her after Our Lady of Victory. Um, and she was like, it will be a bad omen for the election. And I couldn't, <laughs> it was like a total Catholic guilt thing. And so we named her Maria Victoria. Um, and we nicknamed her Marivi. And then um, is Margarita. And Patrick, I'm forgetting someone. Did I say there's Evita, Jack, <laughs> Lucia, John Paul, Paloma, Marivi, Margarita, and, and Patrick. No, I got them all right. I just was counting wrong. <laughs> but that happens a lot. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Can you tell Irish Catholic, Latina Catholic? <laughs> Sure, I love it. So, you say you know what you want, but I'm so, the idea of having children is so daunting at yes. a young age. How do you know what you want, like a large family of like eight children? And when you were in the middle, like around your fourth, how did you know that, did you have I <laughs> So I told you I was Catholic, right? <laughs> I didn't decide. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of came. Um, I've never had the experience of actually going, wouldn't it be great to get pregnant? <laughs> it just never happened to me like that. Um, so I've just been really open to whatever God gave me, and that's what he's given me. So. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about how you moved to Milwaukee and you're excited to see that New York and Milwaukee. Oh, no, I was in a little town. No, I no. Uh, gosh, that would have been like being in L.A. <laughs> so how did you feel about making that move? Was it far from your family? Was that difficult for you? And like, how were you so willing to do that, um, even if it caused a little bit of pain? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I really chalk it up to being a military brat. So my family was never connected to the extended family in such a strong way because I was a military brat and we lived overseas so much. So the idea of moving away from my family, though after I had kids, I sure wished that I had been closer. It would have been a lot more helpful. Um, but it just it was not a thing. And I think also um, military kids are very adaptable. Like, you know, you got to move to a new school every three years, and, you know, you got to make friends fast, and you got to accept the new environment. And I think it's one of the... Uh, it's something that I didn't recognize until I was an adult, but it, it was a it could be difficult when I was growing up, but it gives you a strength um, that you don't know. It's funny because Harris Faulkner has a book coming out, uh, it just came out, and, and it, a lot of it is based on her experience as a military brat. And I could really relate to so many of the things in her book because being a military brat, you have to be really adaptable, and I think that helped me. In fact, I think had it been the reverse, my husband lived in the same town you know, until he went to college, I think it would have been much harder for him. And probably God knew that. <laughs> and that's why he said, maybe Rachel should move to the town instead of Sean going to New York. So this might sound a little bit weird, but you remind me a lot of my mom because I love we're an Irish Catholic family with nine kids. Okay. She's stay at home. So that was really, really awesome to hear you talk. What number child are you? I'm number five. Okay, right so in the middle. What's that like? Um, not as hard as you think it was. Then again, I am incredibly loud and chatty, so there's no doubt. Yes. Um, but so my family was from Florida, and they moved up to Maine. And my mom had a really hard time finding conservative women. And yeah. that I can't say she's been entirely successful, because Portland is a very 
And it's such a great question I have to. What's your name again? I'm Abby. Abby. I'm a fellow at okay. It is a great question. So when I I always prided myself on having a lot of liberal friends because I grew up, you know, kind of like out of college on the real world. Um, most of my, you know, until I married Sean, I lived almost exclusively with gay men in apartments, you know, whether it was on the real world or after the real world because we were friends. So I had all these very liberal friends. And, um, and I always said, I vote Republican, I party Democrat. You know, that was sort of my, when I was growing up, that was sort of my thing. And something weird happened when my husband was um, running for Congress. Um, and it didn't happen with all my liberal friends. Some of them are still very much close to me, um, especially the ones from the real world. Um, I think maybe that's such a bonding experience and everybody kind of knew what my deal was. But when Sean decided to run for Congress, um, I had some very dear friends that just became awful. And it was a very interesting lesson to me. It was funny because when he was deciding to run, another person who was, who was already like a statewide office holder kind of said to me, oh, it's great, I'm so glad Sean's running. You'll find out who your friends are real fast. And I just, it just kind of went over my head. I had no idea, I was just like chuckled. <laughs> and then it really, it really became true. And I realized that um, putting yourself out there, being out and proud and re Republican and conservative um, really upset some of my little, it was like they were okay, they kind of knew I was, they knew I was a Republican, but they were okay as long as I was sort of, you know, private about it. Um, and that's, a, a liberals are a lot like that in some ways, and they're like that about religion as well. Um, and so it taught me a really important lesson. Um, and it made me realize I don't need a huge circle of friends. Um, and I need people in my life who are cheerleaders for my life, for my decisions, for my children, for my family. And so I've decided to surround myself with people who are supportive. Um, and so sometimes maybe putting yourself in, it, like, in that town, maybe it's almost the best way of finding out who the real people are in some ways. Um, and it was for me. And I'm... I'm totally, um, I'm totally okay. I will say I'm guilty of like, we lived in a very, very liberal town um, when he was first elected and then we moved to another town just because it was closer to the airport which was more conservative. And I have to say I like it more. I, I would be lying to you if I, if I said I didn't. Um, uh, there was initially some of those things were so hurtful that I used to say to myself, life's too short to have Democrat friends, you know? And, but I kind of grew out of that and I realized, you know, there were good, Democrats um, that were my friends. And, um, and I've met them at my work at Fox. And again, there were some that made it through that process, but there definitely were some that were really mean. And I'm really glad I got to know who they were <laughs> um, and get them out of my life. So. So in college, I dabbled a little bit because I wrote for this conservative paper in college. I hope no one uncovers them. I'm sure those articles are horrible. <laughs> uh, I probably shouldn't have said that on camera because one day somebody will go and find them. Um, uh, but uh, 
I did, and but it, but then it, I really started writing about my own experience. And at the time that I started writing on those blogs, really I was in mommy world, and there were so many issues. I remember just being surprised. I I wrote an article once um, about when was the right time to let your child go to a slumber party, and I thought this would be just this kind of simple, fun, like here's what I'm thinking and here's what my friends think, and it was powerful because so many women wrote back. And interestingly, many of them wrote back and told me really like stories of being molested on, on you know, uh, in horrible things happening to them when they were at a sleepover. And the article went viral. And I realized that the web was this, it was, it was very early. Remember, I'm kind of old. This was like years and years, you know, 12, 12, well, probably um, maybe 12, 14 years ago. And so, you know, these, this women were f starting to connect nationally through these websites and I realized it was really a community and there were lots of interesting things to learn um, by putting it out there and then people responding and it was powerful so it was and people had all kinds of strong opinions and um, were sharing things that I think maybe they wouldn't share if we had just met for coffee you know um, so it was interesting and and so I started that way and I started to realize this was a powerful um, medium and platform to, to, to speak from and eventually AOL, remember back when AOL <laughs> was something, um, they hired me to do a parenting exclusive blog. Um, and so that was sort of the start. And I did little video clips for them, and I did stories for them, and it was really fun. You know, I have to say, when I was young and having fun, and I never really thought that much about it. Um, I wasn't one of those people that thought, I'm going to have, you know, five kids, or it never really occurred to me. When I was in it, I have to tell you, I love kids. Um, I love the whole experience. I, I like all the phases. I don't like it every day. You know, there are days I don't like it. Um, <laughs> and I go, gosh, I wish I could go get my nails done today. <laughs> or I wish I could have some alone time. You know, that happens. Um, but I really do love kids, and they just sort of came. I, I, I'm really not exaggerating when I tell you. They just kind of came, and I can't imagine my life without one of them. But there are definitely days when I go, it's a really good thing you're cute because <laughs> I'm going to explode. Um, so it happens, but it's been really joyful. And I have to tell you, it's been really great to have that connection of being a mom and be in the workforce because for so long I was home. And I didn't have colleagues. It's kind of funny, but I remember when I first started working at Fox, I told Sean, it's so interesting. I have colleagues now. <laughs> I have people that, you know, know me from work, you know, because I was at home. And my community was sort of, you know, um, in the Internet. It wasn't, you know. And so it's been really interesting. And I have felt so supported by so many women um, at Fox, um, at Regnery, um, and, and so many of the places that I've, I've had to interface with, and it's been awesome. I can tell you that when I worked for the Libra Initiative, by the way, this is my friend Judy. We were colleagues um, at the Libra Initiative, and I can remember the first time I got hired, and I had six kids, and I knew that was kind of a little unusual, and I was going to be their spokesperson, and I assured them that I would be able to travel and do what they needed me to do. And then, I don't know, a year and a half or so later, I was pregnant with the sixth. And I remember I was, um, I'm sorry, with the seventh. And I remember I was kind of nervous calling my boss. She knows our boss. 
And I, I, I don't know why, but I was just like, you know, he just he gave me this chance, and here I am, I'm pregnant. And I'd never had that experience of having to explain to somebody I'm pregnant, you know? And I remember calling, and I was kind of like ready. I had all these things that I had planned in my head that I was going to say to him about how I knew, what, you know, I could handle this. And, and the first thing that came out of his mouth was, please tell me you're not going to quit. Because we really, we think you're great and you're adding so much value. Don't, don't quit. We'll work with you. And it was so amazing. And, it, you know, it was a man, you know. And, and then I had to call him again and <laughs> say, I'm having my eighth now. <laughs> it was a little easier calling him the second time. Um, but you know what? I think times really are changing. Women aren't cha just changing. So are the men. Um, and I've been really blessed and um, to have very supportive uh, colleagues and bosses um, and friends at work. Um, so... Yeah. Right. Yeah, because she doesn't necessarily believe um, she's made an image and likeness of God, you know. So how do I engage in this conversation? So does she know how your positions? Does she, or are you kind she of a little quiet? I haven't. I just met. You just met her. <laughs> so of course. I'm trying not to be like I'm Catholic. Yeah. You know, right? Hi, I'm Catholic. <laughs> like, how, do I, how do I? How do I bring that up? You know, I mentioned. Yeah. yeah Right. That is such a great question. And I'm going to tell you, I learned that on the real world. It was fascinating. And, I, you know, I've, I've, I've done speeches and talked about this experience um, before. You know, the real world back 20 years ago, don't Google me, by the way. My daughter just watched all the episodes for the first time. <laughs> um, but, uh, and she was just like, it was, it was weird. <laughs> it was really weird. Um, but back when the real world started, it really was a social experiment in exactly what you're talking about. So when the real world started, one of the producers, she's, she's passed away now from cancer, but she was, um, she was brought up in the television world in soap operas. And the other guy was in the documentary world. And it really came together where they wanted to create a docu-soap, if you will. And it really was more documentary. There wasn't like, you know, now it's all like sex and a hot tub. It wasn't like that then. It was truly seven strangers from seven different backgrounds who came together. And in my season, we went to San Francisco. And it really was super hyper PC at that time. Um, it was a lot like the world now, but it was sort of a newer version of it, if you will. And, um, and so there I was. I was one of seven. We had an anarchist bike messenger. We had a Muslim hip hop spoken word artist. Um, we had a young girl from Orange County. She was sort of like a surfer girl, kind of from a, from a conservative background. That's not necessarily religious, but definitely conservative background. Um, we had um, a very liberal cartoon artist from New York City 
Um, we had um, uh, an Asian liberal girl who was in medical school. Um, we had an a uh, Hispanic Cuban living with AIDS, which now think about this, this is 1994. So that was a pretty controversial time um, with that disease where people didn't know how it was even spread. There was a lot of misinformation. And so now he's my roommate. And then there was me, you know, Latina girl from, you know, military brat living in Arizona, just graduated from Arizona State University with very concerned. I know your mom and I know how conservative your family is. So I know what you mean. And we lived in this house, and of course, I was the conservative, right? Politically and religious-wise. And I think what I found fascinating was I was so genuinely interested in everybody's life. I was totally open. I went to Gay Pride. I went to the Soapbox Derby Night. I went to Hip Hop Spoken Word Night at the Muslim club that that guy's, Muhammad's dad ran. I did everything that they, you know, I wanted to know, I wanted to take it in because I want to learn about the world. What I learned was, well, let me tell you this. Then I said, after going to everybody's stuff, I said, wouldn't it be fun if they came to one of my things? Now I'm going to take Michelle back. I went to an Empower America conference. This is like back, you know, I'm really aging myself here. Um, this was back in uh, Jack Kemp. From you guys who know who Jack Kemp is, Jack Kemp was running this organization. Um, and they were having a big conference just outside of San Francisco. So I thought, I'm going to go to this conference. I should invite all my friends. They're like, you know, I went to all their stuff. They might want to know more about me, and it might help explain, you know, what I'm doing. Um, I'll tell you that when I was there, there was a young staffer I met, and his name was Paul Ryan <laughs> that I met at that conference. Um, and so I went, I brought them all up there. And of course, you know how the real world works, right? You go to the event, but you don't really know what your roommate said before or after the event until you watch the episode, right? Um, so I watched the episode months after, you know, the show, while the show's airing, and they were all complaining about going and having to spend their afternoon with a bunch of white conservatives. And they wanted to know, when they got there, they were so shocked at how white everyone was. It was completely all racialized. And they wanted to know how a Latina girl like me could be comfortable around all these white conservative older women and men, mostly men. Um, and it was really interesting to me because I learned at the young, tender age of 22, I learned about the liberal myth of tolerance. I went with such an open mind to all of their things, and I realized they weren't open at all to who I was. Um, and um, I even took um, Pedro, who was the Cuban uh, young man living with AIDS, which by the way, very sadly, he died of AIDS about six to eight months after we finished filming. Um, but I brought him back to Arizona on Holy Week to meet my parents, and he spoke at my mom's school about AIDS. Um, you know, I was really open to who they were, what they were, um, but I wanted to be who I was too. And they didn't like that. And that was a great lesson for me to learn early on. So my advice to you, long story short, is just be who you are, be happy, be a happy warrior. Um, don't change what you're doing but be open to hearing what she's about. I mean, that's what's so great about being a conservative is um, our values 
um, work. <laughs> They're steeped in facts, and um, they've proven that they work time and again. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting reintroduced to capitalism now. You know, it actually works. Um, it actually increases people's prosperity. So um, just be who you are. Enjoy your experience. I'm so excited for you. You're interning at the Bureau of at the EPA, at the EPA. Um, so enjoy your experience, take it all in, but be who you are, keep going to church. I, tell you, I went to mass every Sunday, and many Sundays I brought my roommates with me, so. And interestingly, it was the anarchist bike messenger who was the only one who would come with me to mass. <laughs> so, <laughs> go figure. Um, thank you all so much.